Hello and welcome to another episode of Cross-Examine. In this video, I want to look at a question that came up in a sermon that I was listening to the other day. Uh, I was listening to this pastor and he said that God repents. And that's why we are called to repent. He said God would never call us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. And so he modeled repentance for us. Now, if you're like me, as I was listening to this sermon, alarm bells started going off. Uh, but this pastor was referencing scripture. And there is scripture that says God repents. So what do we do with that? Uh, well, that's what I wanted to use this episode for. I want us to examine this claim because it really matters for us to understand what repentance is and what the Bible means when it says that God repents. And so as we dive into this topic, it's important to lay out a few things first. First, we need to understand what repentance even means. And for that, it's best to look at where it's most often used or referenced, which is in the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, we hear this word repent. It's actually the first word that Jesus uses in his public ministry. So in Matthew 4, 17, we hear Jesus say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Greek word here for repent is metaneo. This word literally means to turn around, to do a 180. Uh, and it's specifically tied to the frame of mind for a person. So for us, it literally means to change your mind, to turn away from something. And for, specifically for Christians, to turn away from sin. So when we apply that to God, are we saying that God turns away from sin or that God changes his mind? How do we square that with passages like Hebrews 13, 8, where it says that Jesus, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or Malachi 3, 6, where it says God doesn't change. And what about Numbers 23, 19, where it says that God is not like man and therefore has no need of repentance? Which scripture do we end up believing? Does God change or does he not? Which leads us to the second item that is important for us to consider, and that is the translation of the Bible that you use. Depending on your translation, as we look over these passages in the Old Testament, you might not even see the issue. And that's because as translations have become better and more modern, and scholars have a better understanding of the ancient language, and we have more and better manuscripts from which we can translate, we are able to more accurately represent what the author meant when they talked about these things. But you'll see what I mean as we dive in. So let's look at the passage that is probably cited most when it comes to this topic, and it's Exodus 32. To bring you up to speed here in Exodus 32, we find that the Israelites grew impatient while Moses was up on the mountain chatting with God. And in their impatience, they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and ask him to make an idol that they can worship. In that moment, God felt distant from them and they wanted gods that were close. A God that they could see and touch and that could lead them out of where they currently were. So Aaron does what they ask. He begins to make a golden calf from their jewelry that he's melted down. And meanwhile on the mountain, God sees all of this because of course he does. He's God. He tells Moses what's happening and that he will finish the Israelites off. He will wipe them out and make a great nation out of him instead. God says that they are a stiff-necked people and that his wrath will burn hot against them. And then when it's just Moses left over, that is how we will make a great nation. Now it's important to note here, God could have done this and been totally just. His people are openly rebelling against him in this moment. They built another God to worship because they weren't happy with God. And so God's reaction here is not an overreaction. I've seen many people read this passage and claim that God is hot-headed and hot-tempered and he needed Moses to calm him down. 
But that's not the case. What we're seeing here is how God feels about sin. He hates it, and rightfully so. And he would be completely righteous and just in this moment if he wiped Israel out. So God says he's going to burn Israel. And then Moses speaks to God and asks him to remember his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and the people of Israel. And then depending on your translation, it says that God repented or changed his mind. Now let me show you how some people read this passage. Some people will read this and like we said earlier, think that God is a loose cannon flying off the handle and he needed Moses to calm him down and remind him of his promises and, and stay his hand. You can almost think of the Avengers and the Incredible Hulk where he's just this big raging monster and he needed someone like Black Widow to take his hand and calm him down and bring him back to normal. And if you're just doing a surface level reading of this passage, that's an understandable interpretation of the text. But I'm telling you, it's a misunderstanding and that's not what happens here. Why do I say that? Well, let's take a step back and remind ourselves of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be in his word. We read earlier that God doesn't change. So God, who was God from all eternity past, is exactly who God is today and is exactly who he will be in eternity future. He has never changed. And I think, hopefully, we can all agree on that. But does that mean he never changes his mind? Well, let's look at the implication of that and see if it aligns with scripture. In 1 John 3.20, we are told that God knows everything. He knows all things. That's a lot of things. Psalm 147.5 says that God's understanding is immeasurable. There's no possible way that we can even put a metric on God's level of understanding. And Psalm 139.4 says that God knows what we will speak before we speak it. These verses need to speak into how we interpret this passage in Exodus. First, if we truly believe God's own revelation of himself, that he knows everything, then we must understand that when Moses reminds God of his promises to Abraham and the people of Israel, that God didn't really forget that. It's not like Moses brought up Abraham and God was like, oh yeah, you're totally right. I didn't even think of that. God wasn't blinded by rage and had to recall this promise. And we need to understand that. Second, we read in Psalm 139 that God knows what men will speak before they speak it. God's knowledge is infinite. And so before Moses even put up a protest against the destruction of the Israelites, God knew what he would say. And God also knew that the Israelites would fashion a golden calf in rebellion against him. None of this was a surprise to God. And so then what do we do with this text? Because it says that God changed his mind, right? Well, that, that's where the more modern translations, I think, handle this text a little better. If you have an older translation, like the King James Version, it says, God repented. And if you have a more thought-for-thought -thought translation, like the New Living Translation, it said, God changed his mind. But if you use a translation like the English Standard Version, it actually fixes this issue for you in the text. And no, it doesn't fix it by swapping a word to something that's easier for us to wrap our minds around or changing it without being faithful to the original manuscripts. They just translated the Hebrew more properly in its context. The word here in the Hebrew, rather than repent or change his mind, I think is more properly translated to relent. The word relent means to lessen harshness. And so it's not that God changed his mind. I mean, think about what that would mean for us. Think about God 
changing his mind. If you have a God that changes his mind, think about what that means for you and me. Here, God changes his mind and does not bring destruction on his people. But what's to stop God from changing his mind about you? I mean, if all it takes is a simple speech from Moses, surely you and I can change God's mind about the people around us. Maybe it's people that we like or that we want God to bless them, or maybe it's people that we don't like and we want God to curse them. Is that the God of the Bible that you and I have come to know? We just pray a prayer and manipulate God into doing what we want? No, that's, the, that's not the God of the Bible. And you and I do not want a God that changes his mind. Another characteristic we need to establish for God is his rightness. Psalm 103.6 says that God performs righteous works. Psalm 111.7 says that God's works are true and just always. And Deuteronomy 32.4 says that God's works are perfect. So everything that God does, everything that he chooses, everything that he thinks, it is always right. God is never wrong. For God to think something and then change his mind would mean that the first thought wasn't right. And therefore it wasn't perfect. That would be a massive issue for us. And so God can't change his mind because it would mean that he was wrong. But that still doesn't answer what we do with this passage. Even if we use the word relent instead of repent, we still have a passage that says in one moment God was going to destroy Israel and then after Moses speaks to him, he chooses not to destroy Israel. How is that not God changing his mind? To properly understand this passage and any passage that says God repented or changed his mind because there are several that mention this, we need to understand that God is not like us. I think the pastor I mentioned at the beginning of this video is teaching a wrong understanding of God because God is wholly unlike us. But for us to understand a holy and infinite God, it needs to be conveyed in a way that we understand. We understand what it means to change our mind. We do it all the time. We look in our closets in the morning and after we try on one shirt, we change our mind. We try on a different pair of pants. We try on socks, shoes, belt. We make all of these decisions all throughout the day. We drive to work and on our way, we decide we need to get gas or coffee. So rather than drive straight to work, we make a detour. We make these minor adjustments all the time, but that never happens with God. So how can we ever understand the infinite, immeasurable wisdom of God? Well, we have hope of understanding in how he chose to reveal himself and his thought process. He broke it down in ways that we can understand. God's revelation of himself to us is often anthropomorphic. And what that means is it takes on human attributes to help us understand and relate to it. We see this all the time in children's entertainment. Growing up, I loved and still love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now think about it. If this was just a movie about four 17-year-old real actual turtles, that would be pretty boring. <laughs> that would not be an exciting piece of entertainment. But the turtles in TMNT are anthropomorphized. So they can talk and joke around and walk and do martial arts and kick butt. Or look at old children's movies like The Brave Little Toaster. If we watched a movie about a real-life toaster, it would be very boring. <laughs> but in this movie, the toaster can talk and emote and convey feeling. And so we as an audience can connect to it because there are attributes we can relate to. 
And now I'm not saying that God is like the brave little toaster, but God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to reveal himself to us using anthropomorphic language. He chose to apply natural language to himself in some ways to help us understand more of who he is. For example, in terms of more nature-oriented language, Psalm 17 and Psalm 36 talk about God protecting his people in the shadow of his wings. Are we then to assume that God has feathers? Or that God has physical wings with which he protects his people by literally and physically stretching his wings over them? No. This is just a visual that God gave to the psalmist to help explain his desire to protect his people. And so when it comes to this passage in Exodus, God uses the word relent or repent in, in Moses' prayer in the midst of this to relay his overall feeling and decision toward Israel. So let me unpack that a little more. Remember, toward the beginning, I told you that God would be totally right and just if he were to wipe out Israel in that moment. But he doesn't. But he does tell Moses that he wants to. He tells Moses, step back because I'm going to light up Israel like the 4th of July. So in that moment, we see and understand God's righteous hatred of sin. And then God chooses to stop and let Moses speak. And in his prayer to God, Moses brings up things that God already knows about. Moses says, what will the surrounding nations think if they see you bring your people out of slavery only to kill them? God knew about that. Moses then says, remember that you promised Abraham to have descendants that rival the number of stars in the sky. God knows about that too. And it's after this prayer that God relents from bringing disaster to his people. So let me show you what we just saw. What we saw here is a breakdown of God's infinite and eternal feelings in this moment. His mind never changed on it. He knew from before Adam and Eve were created that Israel would rebel in this way. And in his infinite being that spans across time, God at that time feeling rightfully wrathful towards sin also infinitely and eternally remembers his promises to his people. What God experiences perfectly in his infinite being, we can only understand when it's broken down and separated into little chunks. God didn't change his mind like what we think of when we change our minds. But in that moment, as God, he felt both a rightful wrath towards sin and a merciful love toward the promised people. We can't make sense of that because we can't fully relate to it. We can kind of make sense of it, but not really when you think about an infinite God. And so in order to convey his feeling for this event, God chose to reveal himself using anthropomorphic language. He says he felt wrath, and he did. And Moses told him to remember his promise, and he did. And God says he relented from the wrath that he wanted to give, and he did. But hey, maybe you're like, Mark, you're crazy. This makes no sense. Well, welcome to How I Feel after every episode. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, and you think maybe you think God really did change his mind and you've got something I overlooked, or maybe I'm overemphasizing something, um, and maybe you think I'm going off into like the further the furthest edges of crazy town. I, I would love to continue the conversation with you, so please uh, comment, message me. Let's keep this confusing train rolling uh, and keep the conversation going. So as always, thank you for tuning in. May God bless you, and I'll see you soon.